He could see clearly that it might all be nothing but a fantasy of peculiar neatness, and he attached little importance to the vessel itself, but he was conscious that a great many people might attach a good deal of importance to it if there were any truth in the story. Ah, fair sweet lord, he said half aloud, let me keep this thy vessel, if it be thy vessel, for love's sake, fair lord, if thou hast held it in thy hands, let me take it into mine. And if not, let me be courteous still to it for thy sake, courteous Lord, since this might well have been that, and that was touched by thee. He smiled a little, took up the chalice, and went back to the rectory. Good evening, or morning, or afternoon, as the case may be. This Inklings Variety Hour finds our heroes, Annika, Megan, and Chris, recording with a desperate kind of resolve, as a thunderstorm ravages the greater Athens area. Despite the storm, we managed to discuss chapters 4 through 8 of Charles Williams's supernatural thriller, War in Heaven, in which the discovery of the Holy Grail in an unassuming church in the town of Fardles brings about a clash between the forces of Christendom on the one side and the forces of evil on the other. The protagonist in this book is Julian, the Archdeacon of Fardles, who refuses to allow Gregory Persimmons, a rich publisher, to buy the Grail. Gregory, who is a Satanist, hires someone to hit the Archdeacon on the head and steal the Grail anyway. We then see Gregory going to a decidedly shady chemist's shop to purchase some ointment, the application of which allows him to attend a kind of psychic witch's Sabbath. Here it is made clear that in order to be really evil, he must corrupt Adrian, the child of Lionel and Barbara Rackstraw, who have agreed to stay with him in the country. In addition to talking about the plot of the novel, we'll be talking about our lack of expertise, the mystical way of the affirmation of images that Charles Williams helped pioneer, our relationship to things, and of course, the demonic origins of cosmetics. It's a particularly chilling episode of The Inklings Variety Hour. I was pointing out last time that the Christian life is simply a process of having your natural self changed into a Christ self. Well, welcome once again to the Inklings Variety Hour. This is part two of our discussion of Charles Williams's book, A War in Heaven, um, his first published novel. Um, and his novels were known as spiritual thrillers, maybe still are, um, because he takes the familiar format of a thriller and uh, kind of shows how, say, a detective story would look in the Charles Williams universe. Um, <laughs> a very weird, very mystical, very truthy, dare I say, place. Um, so, um, yeah, it's a, uh, um, we, we've, we've gotten through in our first part of, our, of the discussion, the setup, right? And now we get to the actual grail um, and those lines that that were just read were lines addressed by the archdeacon um, to the grail um, but before we get to that 
let's introduce ourselves. I am Chris Pipkin, assistant professor of English, uh, but it's medieval English, not 20th century English, so I'm still an amateur uh, when it comes to this stuff um, um, at, at Emanuel College. Um, and the rest of us are rolling our eyes at him as he says this, just so you know. If you two are rolling your eyes, you are in good company. Hey, if C.S. Lewis got flack for publishing <laughs> on theology when he was a literature expert, I mean, the things still work that I've never published on any of these guys. Um, so, as yeah, much as but I love them. you're American. That, I, I think that's only a, a British thing. Like, Sorry, Will, I, I froze. There we go. Oh, okay. There we go. Um, yeah, so Americans can do what they want because that's, that's our We're all experts. And there are no experts. <laughs> no. That's right. No. Um, yeah. Yeah, so. Not, a, not an expert, no. So, um, <laughs> that's me. Who are the rest of you? After that great introduction, I don't, I don't think anything I say is going to pale in comparison. Uh, I'm Megan Logsdon. <laughs> Paralegal by day, writer by night, also yes. uh, also potentially uh, being ordained to the diaconate in the Anglican Church in North America. Hey. Our archdeacon. Our, no. One day. No, one day. Not an archdeacon. <laughs> one day you will become an archdeacon and we will learn that the Holy Grail has always been here in America. <laughs> Is here in America. Yeah, I'll find it. And then we'll merge with the Mormons. <laughs> That's exactly what I it was hidden with the Mormons. Yeah. Yes. We're all about holy relics in America. Anyway. <laughs> <laughs> no, none of that is true. So, <laughs> but that's me. How about you, Annika? Yeah, I'm Annika Smith. I just love to read and I, I love the inklings but i have no expertise i think i am obligated to say that um by my new profession but yes i have no expertise and i am not holding my out myself out to have any expertise just to be really 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 clear i have no expertise but i'm going <laughs> to talk to you about it anyway and that's that's who i am Listen, I don't have any expertise either, but I'm I'm here for this conversation. So, <laughs> I as, as as a a big big fangirl of of Charles Williams. Yeah. So, <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. I mean, that's that's really you know all of us. I think the reason yeah. the reason that we like to do this, we're fans first, and um, yeah, I I definitely do not keep up with the secondary scholarly literature um, <laughs> the way that an expert would heck i don't even do that in the field i'm supposed to be an expert in um, oh, <laughs> but uh um yeah um but i love these books um and then i love you know i love reading the inklings and if you also love these books then we are happy to have you along for the ride um so uh those passages we read are from Julian of, Julian Davenant. I almost said Julian of Norwich, a uh, different person. <laughs> different Although uh, he does read Julian later in the book. Yeah, yeah. Um, but he's he's just realized that the Grail, um, to quote Monty Python, um, is uh, um, 
actually in his quaint little country, it's a parish? Yes. Um, yeah, mm-hmm. of, yeah, of the little far, parish church. Um, uh, the parish formerly known as Castropavlorum, um, but now known as Fartles. Um, and he is looking at this. They, they've, they've replaced it. it. It's just kind of with the old stuff um, because they have this nice, shiny new chalice. Um, but he's just realized, oh, shoot, we have what's very likely the Holy Grail. Um, that, um, you know, Christ used at the last supper. Um, and that has a whole, whole body of mystical and medieval and Victorian literature connected very closely to it. Um, so kind of a big deal. Um, but, um, Yeah. Why did you all read the passages that you read? What 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 do you like about them? I think, um, well, for me, it, it really highlights um, what Williams is trying to highlight with the archdeacon that that you can it's possible to attach too much importance to relics. Um, you know, you can get so wrapped up in the thing that you miss the thing behind the thing, if that makes sense. Um, yeah, he was a really big um, proponent of the affirmative way or the way of affirmation of images as opposed to the negative way or the way of negation of images. Um, in that camp, you'd find like a St. John of the Cross, um, you know, type where, um, or the author of The Cloud of Unknowing, where God is... It's not, it's not possible to communicate what God is through imagery. <laughs> In the end, it kind of all, you have to come to the realization that nothing can really express what God is. Whereas somebody in the school of the Via Affirmativa is, is definitely all about, um, no, no, imagery is a way that we can access God. Um, but the thing is, with that, there's, I guess there's a caution in there that's, you know, you can't get fixated on the image itself. You have to, you have to see the image and go through the image, beyond the image to, to find what's on the other side. And so, and so I, think, I think that's kind of what Williams is trying to highlight here, um, you know, not to get hung up on the, the object, the physical object, even though that is important, but to, you know, to keep going and get to the, the the heart of the thing that that it's symbolizing so yeah i think that's i think that's so key um and 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 yeah really like among the mystics right um you've got williams and dante who mm-hmm. are via affirmativa right yeah. who, who are into the affirmation of images most of the other mystics um are like whoa, whoa, whoa! I've encountered God in such a powerful way that just nothing is like Him, right? Um, and and Dante and and Williams um, are are much more. Um, I mean, the other mystics do have visions, right? Yeah. But they tend to they tend toward um, staying away from um, you know romantic love, for example. Um, or other things that could come between the soul and God um, because they're all about that 
absolute union between the soul and God. Mm -hmm. Um, and, and Williams has room to approach God, uh, through things to make things kind of an icon, um, of, of God. Um, which is, which, which I'd say Julian Davenant, the, um, archdeacon here is sort of the ideal, uh, follower of this way right Mm -hmm. um that that he's his relationship to stuff i think and the relationship really of all the characters here i mean i think this is a huge thread and a huge a huge theme in this uh the relationship uh between the human soul and things right um physical matter um um is really important and and Julian Davenant's uh, relationship to it is um, just really fascinating um, that he, that he has a kind of courtesy towards the grail, but he has, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, Yeah. He he has a courtesy toward the grail partly because it's the grail and connected to Jesus, but also partly because it's a thing thing. and therefore, uh, created thing right yeah. um, like when he yeah. when he sorry i just i love that so much and when he goes into the um he he's he's just processing first of all i love that he's processing all this um and worship comes out of him so quickly right he keeps singing softly um to the end of this little bit but he he put his hand out and touched a flower then withdrew it I'm becoming sentimental, he thought to himself. How do I know that a chair is full of goodwill or a bed anxious to please? They may be, but they mayn't. Their life is hidden with Christ in God. Oh, give thanks to the God of all gods, he sang softly, for his mercy endureth forever. And uh, as soon as I read that, I thought of St. Francis uh, and the, just in the Chesterton biography of him, there's a story where he's he's so appreciative of the thingness of things um, that he apologized to a chair for sitting in it or thanked the chair for holding him up, right? Like the, the dignity of, of other things that they exist. Um, and, and this also is to the praise of, of God and to the praise of Christ specifically. Um, and throughout this whole novel, as he keeps on encountering the Grail, but also as he uh, encounters Gregory Persimmons, and 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 throughout, like when he sees things foiled, and when he he sees even when it doesn't look like it's going his way, he keeps on reiterating um, the Psalm for His mercy endures forever. Uh, and I I love that. I find that fascinating. Yeah, yeah, and and contrasted with him, right, are the villains who either want to possess or destroy, right? They don't have this uh, almost kind of dance with with objects where they uh, can hold them with sort of an open hand, um, including the grail. The grail, yes. Um, and, uh, and, And the archdeacon really is presented as someone who is saintly enough to sort of have um, perfected this approach to objects that an object is a holy thing, but an object is not an ultimate thing. Um, and, and yeah. in a certain place he says, you know, um, this also is thou, neither is this thou, right? And this, this, this thing is in a, in a sense, God, but it's also not. 
Um, mm -hmm. that, and that's, I mean, that's a saying that runs all throughout Williams. Um, this also is thou and neither is this thou, which kind of encapsulates uh, the idea of coherence. Um, that's how you can think of things in terms of like, well, this is God, but not, you know, at the same time. It's, it's you know, in, in some mysterious way, as as baptized people into into the church, we are somehow participating in as members. Uh, I, I hesitate to say as members of the Trinity because that sounds heretical, but like you know, it's like <laughs> I have to be careful here. But um, but we we we're somehow God in some way through Christ's Christ imparts something of himself to us through his sacrifice um you know on the cross and so in a sense we do kind of have like a, a piece of of that but we also are not god ourselves and mm -hmm. so just that whole idea of being able mm -hmm. to see things in terms of this is divine but it is not the ultimate divine it's a window through to, to see what is the actual ultimate divine um mm -hmm. And I actually can't remember. I think I read somewhere that he got that 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 phrase. He did not make that up himself. He actually may have gotten it from um, Zena from the Syrian. Um, if you're unfamiliar with him, he's a. I think, gosh, I can't remember. Very early uh, saint. Um, he actually was a deacon in the church. Um, hey. Yeah, I know, and also a poet. <laughs> so. <laughs> Um, I think he was called like, the, I think he, one of his names is the harp of the Holy spirit or something. But, um, and I, and I couldn't, couldn't back that up. I just read that somewhere. I, that, that, that phrase may be attributed to saying that from the Syrian. So, um, but yeah, he, so he didn't make that up, but it's, so it's been an idea. It's not like Williams just came up with this out of thin air. Like it's just, he goes all the way back to the early church fathers, um, which is pretty emblematic of, of, again, the idea of coherence you know, we're all, we're not just islands. We all have an effect on each other, even across mm -hmm. time and space, yes. um, you know, which is, which is just, I mean, that's, it's, it just kind of opens up a whole new world <laughs> when you start thinking in those terms. Um, again, which is why I just, I, I'm just, I'm fascinated with, with Williams, but, um, but yeah, so. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and the the villains in this seem mainly to have failed to grasp that, right? And and yeah. even even Gregory, um, as evil as he is, um, I mean, this is kind of a spoiler, but he's he there's there's room for redemption of of him um, at at the end, or, um, yeah, because he he still has desire. Um, yeah. Whereas the evil people that he allies himself with want to, um, the one wants to destroy and the other is just sort of like, I don't care. Um, I think he's, he's rejected everything. Yeah. Yeah. In, including, yeah. Including his own desires, um, which, which makes him an interesting sort of foil for the archdeacon, right? Because mm -hmm. the archdeacon mm -hmm. also has this ambivalence about him um, where, where he's like, well, you know, it's probably best that we keep the Holy grail or give it to the Catholic church or something like that. Um, uh, rather than letting these Satanists get it and do whatever they want with it. But uh, it's not the end of the world if the Satanists do get it. 
which speaking of which, you know, Gregory Persimmons, who lives nearby, comes and pays a little visit to the archdeacon. Um, and uh, what, what does he do? He, he asks him um, if he can uh, take the grail off his hands. Um, and, and, and he doesn't know that the archdeacon knows that this is the grail. And the archdeacon doesn't know that Gregory knows that it's the grail, but I think he suspects. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, the archdeacon says, no, sorry, can't, can't do that. And only to later have, um, I forget what happens first. Does, does he get hit on the head first yes. and, then, and then see the uh, chapel mm -hmm. basically, uh, What's the word I want? Vandalized? Ransacked. Yeah. 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 Um, so the chapels, the chapels ransacked. Uh, there's, there's been a theft. It, um, it's, it's meant to look like um, some uh, hobo came through and just sort of. Oh no. Yeah. That, that happens first. And so okay. he, church gets ransacked and then he He's gets hit on the head. Yeah. Yeah. What? <laughs> I, f I forget why he hits him on the head when he's already taken the grail or well, no, he, he, he has the grail. Yeah. 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 Okay. yeah. He has it with him. Yeah. Okay. Okay. He's not, he's not a dummy. He knew, he knew what was up. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah he has it with him and it's, um, yeah, which, which is interesting, right? Because the, the crime here is vandalism um, that Gregory is trying to cover up the theft of the grail with and trying to make it look like an ordinary act of vandalism. Um, and what's vandalism but destruction of things, right? Destruction of mm -hmm. property, right? So in a way, the way that the archdeacon is viewing the grail as this is another part of creation and creation speaks of its creator, no matter what part of creation it is. Um, and the grail's special, but it's still another part of uh, another thing, right? Yeah. Um, well, even even the response to the vandalism at the which, like his attitude to the vandalism, even like their their uh, things have been scrawled with markings and there are some phallic symbols and it's just you know unpleasant. And the sweet little old ladies come up, and they're they're shocked. Um, and he's like, oh, you know, curious business. Like I like he. Like, let's get it cleaned up. And he has, um, he's businesslike about it and practical, but he's, he's not, he doesn't want to bring in the authorities. He doesn't want to make a mess. He just wants to, it's almost as if, you know, it matters in that it, it disturbed people, but it didn't, it didn't hurt God, shall we say. Um, and and it didn't seem to really hurt the archdeacon, uh, which I find that sort of equanimity uh, really admirable and hard to come by. Uh, the, yeah. yeah, like like the church in the same way as the Grail, um, the church matters. Then it doesn't matter. Which is a if we're recording this in the middle of COVID, my church still isn't meeting, and I'm and I'm still, uh, in a Eucharistic fast, uh, and, and the, the sort of ordinary means that, that Williams speaks about of, of how people find, find God, um, and connect to him. 
I really long for. And, and he gives them pride of place here, but he also says it's not, it's not the point, right? Um, which is yeah. beautiful and a, and a good, for me, it was a good word this week. Yeah. So. Yeah. Yeah. I think another good um, analog for this is when um, recently, I want to say about two years ago, um, Notre Dame got, was yes. set on fire. Yes. Um, and it was, I mean, as a medievalist, that was mildly upsetting. Right. Um, And 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 just kind of just kind of sad seeing so many old priceless things. And I was like, you know, part part of what I work on is relics. um, And and so (laughs) I was like, did did they save the crown of thorns? Is is it okay? (laughs) You know, um, which I know it's not the real crown of thorns. I mean, I'm pretty sure it's not, but it's still, it, it's still been venerated there in that place right. as the crown of thorns right. for so long. Right. So, so it, it matters uh, in the, in that way. Um, and then they did, but um, um, yeah, it's, it's, it's an interesting response to um, uh, it's, it's very, you know, in a way, you know, middle way slash i mean if you're if you're super protestant you're going to try to destroy the relics yourself right um if you're you're anglican it's more like well it's good that they're here uh we don't need them but it's good uh right yeah it's okay if this weird catholic over here is like worshiping it (laughs) later in the story Poor, poor Catholics. They don't get a quite the a fair shake, I think. But anyway, yeah. Yeah. Well, they, you know, the Duke is a is a noble is a noble guy, uh, and uh, yeah. But but yeah, yeah. we we'll definitely talk about that when we get to him. Um, so so horror of horrors, or maybe not. Um, the Grail has been stolen um, mm-hmm. by an evil Satanist named Gregory. Mm-hmm. Pers- um, and, ooh, 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 ooh. before yeah. before we get to that can mm-hmm. can we just read um just a really beautiful uh again just the effect the grail has when he's near it and on him um before it gets stolen when he has a really good look at it after he realizes because of the um he starts making the connections between persimmons and and the publishing house and the the grail manuscript the manuscript that that suggested the grail was in fartles right mm-hmm. and then then he he goes in and he hears music i love this i love that there's music around the grail mm-hmm. um and the liturgy so it's part of that dance as well um he came into the inner room where he had looked at the chalice before he went out that morning and as he came in it seemed to meet him in sound A note of gay and happy music seemed to ring for a moment in his ears as he paused in the entrance. It was gone, if it had been there, and gravely he genuflected in front of the vessel and lifted it from its place, carrying it as he had so often lifted its types and companions. He became again, as in all those liturgies, a part that he sustained. He radiated from that center and was but the last means of its progress in mortality. Of this sense of instrumentality, he recognized, nonetheless, the component parts, the ritual movement, the priestly office, the mere pleasure in ordered, traditional, and almost universal movement 
neither is this thou, he said aloud. Going back to the neither is this thou. But the I love the drawing in the liturgy, the priestly office, the tradition and the order. But it, but it also, it's like you were saying, Megan, this is not, this is not the secret knowledge. This is the yeah. open for everyone, the almost universal movement, right? Yeah. That we, we all are invited into this yep. particular dance with the grail. Even if we don't get to go to fardels, we, we get the Eucharist. And, and really like just his, all of his ideas about coherence are, I, I think you made a reference to your Eucharistic theology being influenced by Charles yeah. Williams, but um, really the idea of coherence is especially, I guess, noticeable in the Eucharist because for Charles Williams, whenever any Eucharist is celebrated, all Eucharists are right. celebrated in that moment. <laughs> And which includes the Last Supper, you know, which yeah. the crucifixion is happening at the same time, like everything is in the present moment. So it's like yeah. the intersection of time and eternity. Um, yeah. yeah. I wish I had my, my BCP, my Book of Common Prayer, because there's, um, there's actually like a, a catechism where they talk about um, uh, praying for the dead and also having a feast day for the dead and how when you have the Eucharist, um, it, it's when we approach the Eucharist, when, when you're having like a, a funeral mass or, or another sort of mass of, rem of remembrance, um, that you are most close, you, we, we come closest to them because we are partaking of that same communion. And that's the moment where eternity sort of turns. Mm -hmm. uh, so I, I love that, that it's Williams. I think it's also very profoundly Anglican. Yes. Um, and I, yeah, my, my heart rejoices and, and feasts on that richness. Yeah. Um, and, and again, I mean, there's a, obviously near the end, there is a Eucharist celebrated mm -hmm. and, and there is the, the, there, the, the dead are present or, or those who have gone before are present at the Eucharist in a very real way. And so it's just that illustrate, that illustration of the communion of saints, which is just, again, just like eye-opening when, when I was first exposed to that idea. And it's because it's just so rich and so beautiful. Um, and, and, and it just really reminds us that we, we, we don't have to, it's not, the, the Christian life isn't just Jesus and me, you know? Right. Um, <laughs> it's Jesus and us you know, all together. And so, um, and it's, I mean, that's, that's a great comfort, I, I think, um, you know, or, I mean, it should be, <laughs> if it's not, then I don't know, we need to talk, I guess, but, <laughs> but yeah, yeah, it, and, it, yeah. It's part of finding that dance, like, like finding your, your place of belonging to in the music around you and being, being met by music. I, I love that. Yes. Um, not just that, that his heart is responding in song and he keeps softly singing the psalm, but the grail is meeting him with its own music and, and he is taking part in that. And that, yeah. Um, when, when we get to, if we ever do the Silmarillion and the Song of the Ainur or, uh, or the Magician's yes. Nephew and Aslan's song, uh, I, I think that is a very inkling 
that that is a really nice common thread for the inklings is the the nature of the song behind the created order and and how we partake in it i mean well and that's a i mean that's a medieval idea that like the music of the spheres mm-hmm. um you know and i i think that's that's uh, in large part where that comes where they're getting that from again right and that's the thing that i keep coming back to is like it's it's not like the Inglings are just making things up out of thin air. Like Tolkien was a medievalist, C.S. Lewis right. studied the medieval. T- like they're drawing from these traditions, and and which I think is what makes all of their work so rich to to read and come back to anyway. Yeah. Because and so consonant. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because yeah. yeah. there because there is it fits into a larger picture. It's not just about right. them as individual writers. And so I, I think that's. I mean, that's that's what makes them so fascinating to study, <laughs> you know, and discuss. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. I I really think that um, that that basic sort of um, desire to meet all people to 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 believe mm-hmm. that you know that that all Christians throughout time have been. Um, have had a unique insight into God and, and who God is and to want to share that insight. And, you know, you, you are adding to it. You can't help but add to it. Um, but, but not just sort of throw it out because you can't understand it is, is, is really important. I think it speaks to the fact that, you know, this is about the grail, right? Um, so you have, different views of the grail and some of them are mm-hmm. more, some of them are more medieval. Some of them are, are less medieval, but they're all sort of, you know, and some of them are, are more literary. Right. Um, and, but, they're, but they're all kind of um, validated up to a point um, in, in, in this where, um, where, um, you know, this, this sort of viewing the grail as a holy sort of Catholic relic is very much, you know, Williams has no problem with that. Right. And and uh, viewing it as um, a really important uh, literary symbol. Right. The kind of a literary symbol become physical. Right. Um, is yeah. is he doesn't have a problem with that either. It's just also more than that. Um, and also compared with God, not that important. Um, and, and just uh, this, this sort of. Um, capacity this capaciousness right uh, that um that um, is is given this object is is really neat um um but um but yeah that was that was all really well said thank you guys um that's good stuff um uh, can we talk about the irony of the um i do i do think william's does a great job in this novel of a lot of foreshadowing and then um, surprising with that's not how I expected this to go. So we have that the, in this first attempt on the grail, the vandalism of the church, but ah, the chalice wasn't there. They're foiled. Um, And the archdeacon is walking and he, he has, he has it with him so he can go take it. I think put it in like a safety deposit box or somewhere somewhere where it will be safe right um and then he he's he's trying he starts composing poetry 
and he, he says, how vainly men themselves divert, even with this chalice to their hurt. Um, and then the motor car comes and he gets hit on the head um, by the evil villain uh, and they, they take the chalice. Um, and I, just the foreshadowing of like, I think in the beginning of the chapter too, he's um, thankful, thankful that it's in the hands of the church and authorities and not a millionaire. But then he asks himself, well, why would it be bad to be in the hands of a millionaire? And then a millionaire comes and tries to wheedle it from him, trick him, uh, steal it from him. And then finally um, robs him uh, bodily of, of the thing. So that was fun. Yeah, yeah. And again, it's this response to what do you do with stuff, right? Mm -hmm. Do you, uh, I mean, Gregory wants to use it um, and keep it, right? Uh, mm -hmm. um, uh, Manasseh, who we meet later, wants to, um, wants to destroy it. And then Dimitri is just sort of, you know, ambivalent in a bad way toward it. He yeah. doesn't direct his, his devotion toward it at all. Um, but um, there's a, um, um, but, but yeah, I, I actually completely forget where I was going with that. Um, but what I, what I do want to know is how is, how did Gregory Persimmons become a millionaire publishing <laughs> Foxy Flossy's <laughs> quotations? <laughs> Like was was he publishing the Foxy Flossies for flirtations books in order to finance his real interest, which is the occult? Is that is that obviously, uh, obviously that's what was going on? So that's yeah. that's the source of his millions is the Foxy <laughs> Flossies. He was publishing he was publishing Harlequin romance novels, guys. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and he's got to do that even though he doesn't want to to pay for his you know black magic books. I could see that. I could see that. Um, but, or Foxy. Um, yeah. <laughs> or Foxy. Was it? Is it? Yeah, it's Foxy Flossy. Foxy Flossy's yeah. flirtation. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Oh man. Uh, yeah. Um, so, so then, so then the archdeacon is taken care of, and I, I also really enjoy. It can be a little grating, but I, in in small doses, which it was in very small doses here, the the sly asides about the the kind but kind of bumbling country people oh uh, uh, yeah like like uh the the guy who's visiting the rectory and he then stays because his friend the archdeacon is injured he's going to stay longer um and he it says here he carried the hint of the new testament i was sick and he visited me to an extreme which made nonsense of the equally authoritative injunction to be wise as serpents um and and also the archdeacon's patience in in having feelings of irritation with this guy and with other people in magnifying those feelings and and trying to love them regardless uh, i just appreciate that sort of everyday normal struggle against sin yeah yeah he's he's very patient with mr batesby um <laughs> which um uh, yeah he he uh williams enjoys putting some pretty 
insipid things in in that character's mouth. Um, but yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Like that's that's part of what makes someone a saint, right? Is not just standing up to those who persecute you, but also being able to love people who are annoying. Annoy you, yeah. Um, yeah. Um, Sometimes the harder trial. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> because because you might get persecuted once, but man, you get annoyed all the time. Um, so um, yeah, for every Gregory Persimmons, there are like twenty Mister Batesbys, um, <laughs> or or probably more than twenty. Um, but that uh, help us if we're Mister Batesby, though, because really, like, oh yeah, honestly. I'm probably not going to become Gregory Persimmons, but I am sure I have been Mr. Batesby. Thinking you're being helpful and actually making everything a bit worse. Not terribly worse, but just, just enough worse that you just exacerbate problems. Yeah. Yeah. I think I've done that. Oh, definitely. Yeah. Um, at least to my students. <laughs> no one else. I'm sure to other people too. Um, uh, so then we meet, uh, we, we talk some more with uh, Sir Giles Tumulty, right? Um, and, and get more. He, he always has a story about, you know, basically being an anthropologist on the field right about about everything oh yes well this is very much like uh i knew a cannibal chief in nigeria who right so he's he's essentially oh, making the error of conflating all religious experiences though it's this one um this one thing right which is that makes sense on a level right if it's if it's your area of study and this is a an aspect of the human experience that you're that you're trying to study dispassionately um and analyze um but it also misses the truth that every real believer can see very very plainly right um of 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 the thing that they're of the thing that they're believing um but i i found Sir Giles Timulty to be just as Mr. Batesby is um, a great caricature of just kind of a Victorian moralist uh, clergyman, you know, Sir Giles Timulty is a pretty good caricature of a, uh, of an academic who thinks that they are by not buying into any of this stuff, that they're somehow that they, that they somehow have a privileged view of it all, and mm-hmm. they don't acknowledge their own investedness and their own, um, um, yeah, that 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 they also are bound to a particular point of view, mm-hmm. um, and they don't get to escape it by not believing in stuff. Right, um, and and the voyeurism of it too, mm-hmm. right? Yes. Because he he delights in the witnessing of the act but it's almost pornographic right like it's the i'm going to watch these people having these experiences and in most cases it's i'm going to watch these people committing human sacrifice or like whatever it is to or um or going mad have the these um satanic sort of uh effect yes yes and, and the delight in watching especially the going mad thank you for bringing that back in yeah um, in fact, he even that, says that, I think on page 64, it says, he says, you're, go- you're going mad, you know, for Simmons, and I like watching you. It's yes. just like, 
it's very like sadistic almost just yeah and very creepy Mm -hmm. it it is sadistic and it is like it's that extra unsavory like oh you were ultra corrupt yeah yeah and he ends up i I think he's more sort of roundly condemned than even gregory yes Um, oh yes because gregory at least has desires still right gregory at least is trying to do something and and he's giving himself to something right Mm -hmm. um even if it's the devil it's still giving himself to something and sir giles is holding back all the time Mm -hmm. and and just sort of yeah watching and making himself out to be god um uh yeah like in this passage uh 64 he says he's responding to gregory when gregory's saying you you promised like you promised i would get to do this thing my lord god sir giles said what does it matter i don't care whether i promised or not i don't care whether you want it or not i only wonder whether i shall get more satisfaction from and then he breaks off and it's that like i don't care i don't care if i break my word i don't care what you want I just am trying, I'm going to eke satisfaction out of watching this experience you're going to have. Right. And, and however I can maximize my pleasure and my satisfaction in that um, voyeuristic sort of exercise. That's, that's the thing that matters to me. And that he's so, uh, the unreality of this is how much exposition of motive there is like that. You'd be so upfront with someone you're dealing um, seems I mean, this is a novel about Satanists and the Holy Grail, but that part seems unrealistic to me. So, yeah, I, I mean, I think um, the thing that makes him perhaps slightly better than than the Greek and uh, and and then Manasseh is that he at least has a kind of interest in in this anyway at, at least he's at least he's interested in his field right he's not just interested in promoting himself right which which being an academic like that is kind of a big deal <laughs> um because because it's it it can be tempting especially in a in a dying you know industry um to to just write whatever you can write to get yourself published so that you actually can support yourself, right. Doing, doing things that, that you like to do. But, um, but Timothy, uh, at least, you know, I'll say for him, he's really interested in this in, in an anthropological sort of weird, creepy way, but, but it is real interest. Um, but yeah, he definitely doesn't come off as well as the devil worshiper, Gregory, who has driven his <laughs> driven his uh, wife in you know, to insanity, who is willfully corrupting a child and turning him into some sort of like Satan child, um, or, uh, <laughs> and, and who is uh, um, you know who who caused his own father to despair when he saw his father Mm -hmm. turning towards religion at the end of his life and who has killed a guy after causing him to despair. Right. So pretty thoroughly bad guy. Um, and yet, um, he's not as bad as Sir Giles Tumulty, according to Williams rubric, um, of, of, of evil. Um, but you know, who is 
as bad as Sir Giles Timulty is the Greek. Um, and do we get his name? Um, Gregory is, is visiting him in a disreputable part of town. He mm-hmm. manages a little shop. Um, and uh, uh, Persimmons comes in and asks him, eh, you keep some rather out-of-the-way drugs and things, don't you? The other answered wearily, out of the way? I don't know what you mean, out of the way. Nothing's out of the way. Out of the ordinary way, Gregory said quickly and softly, the way everyone goes. They go nowhere, the Greek said. But I go, Persimmons answered with the same swiftness as before. You have something for me. What I have is for buyers, the other said. All I have is for buyers. What do you want and what will you pay? I think I have paid a price, Gregory said. But what more you ask, you shall have. Who sent you here, the Greek said. Sir Giles Timulty, said Gregory, and others. But the others I cannot name. They say, his voice began to tremble, that you have an ointment. (laughs) Right. So now we come to the ointment. Um, And... uh, the uh, uh, the the ointment that's going to be I don't I don't know how necessary I mean the the ointment I guess is necessary for introducing the Greek in his weird little shop right um, and I, I actually was was thinking about this because I know y- you were wondering where that comes from like why is this why is this here yes. why is this part of the ritual. Um, I don't know the answer to that precisely, um, but I do. I did think about. I don't know if either of you have read uh, the Russian novel *The Master and Margarita* before. I've read part um, of it. You read, <laughs> read part of it um, by, and I'm going to butcher this, Bulgakov. Um, and um, it's it's a it's it's a satirical novel in, in which the devil um, and his entourage show up. Uh, in Moscow, and and caused some trouble, um, but the the titular character Margarita, um, she there's a, a she gets a cream from one of Satan's demons named Azello, who I think is is a stand-in for um, Azazel or Azazel, however you say his name, from the Book of Enoch, um, and in there Azazel is supposed to have um, like taught humans how to make war he gave mm. cosmetics to women taught them how to cover themselves you know obviously that's all evil stuff right so <laughs> <laughs> wait 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 oh what? man the book of enoch <laughs> is <laughs> awesome yeah wow. wow okay um and so in that in 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 the russian novels context um so she she also puts on this cream and then by doing so becomes a witch because she flies away on a broomstick to the devil's ball, which I think is, is his way of portraying Walpurgis night, Walpurgis night. Um, and which is, I think is what Williams is referencing when he talks about sorcerers dancing on a blasted heath. Um, uh, where like, that's the time when like witches are said to come out, like congregate and celebrate before St. Walpurgis, saint walpurgia's day in german in germany i think you can tell i've done a ton of research on this <laughs> yeah yeah um, there, there's a whole there's a whole like a whole dracula thing, yeah. prequel yes. a short story about walpurgisnacht yeah yeah um wow and so and so obviously because this book even though it was written while williams was alive it was he was in the soviet union so this was not published until 1966 
So Williams could not have known about this. Um, so that's why I, I, I have no idea if there's like a tradition that, that there's some kind of witchcraft tradition that he's draw they're both drawing from without knowing each other. Um, I thought for a minute that it was maybe something in, in Goethe's Faust. <laughs> <laughs> um, because there are a couple of scenes where they they do go to Wal they they do go to Walpurgis Nacht, but there's no cream involved in that, so I I hmm. I don't know um, if that's just a thing Williams added or if that is a thing because it appears in two seemingly unrelated novels, and I don't and I'm not sure why, um, may, or it could just be as simple as. Yeah, Williams just wanted to put a thing in, but I, but honestly, I don't think so because with Williams, nothing is ever just I wanted to put a thing in. <laughs> well, um, can, I, can I make a suggestion? Yeah. Yes. Given what you, yeah, uh, reminded us about the demonic, um, mm. the demonic origin of makeup. Yes. Couldn't it just be concealer? Uh, <laughs> oh my! <laughs> concealer on the bottom of his feet. Yeah, you know, yes. if and, you want to be, if you want to be super extra <laughs> yeah. wicked, um, I, I you know, not just your face. You know, PG for the podcast, but yes, yes. Um, <laughs> I, I wonder too, in the same way, baptism is the entry into Christian life and the the sort of crossing over from one be, world to too. the next. I, I think maybe an, an anointing yeah. um, with ointment even as uh, a priest would anoint with oil um, for the sick or as you are anointed with water. Um, yeah. yeah. I think it's I just mean, satanic. Yeah and, I, yeah. and I think that fits because again, the idea of that, at least in William's mind, the idea of baptism is, is, is in itself an initiation into the Christian mysteries of like co-inherence and that sort of thing. So it, this is just that reversed. It could just be that. Well, that brings me to the passage that I'd um, that I picked out to. Mm -hmm. So I'll, I'll yeah, go ahead and, and read this. Um, it it starts on page seventy-two. For those of you following along, um, Gregory smiled and touched the ointment with his fingers. It seemed almost to suck itself upward round them as he did so. He disengaged his fingers and began the anointing. From the feet upwards in prolonged and rhythmic movements, his hands moved backward and forward over his skin. He bowed and rose again and again. The inclinations gradually ceased as the anointing hands grew higher around the knees, the hips, the breast. Against his body, the pink smears showed brightly for a moment and then were mingled with and lost the natural color of the flesh. All the while, his voice kept up a slow crooning the sound of which he moved, pronouncing as in an incantation of rounded and liquid syllables what seemed hierarchic titles. He touched his temples and his forehead with both hands, and so for a moment stayed. His voice grew deeper and charged with more intensity, though the sound was not noticeably quicker as he began the second anointing. But now it was only the chosen parts that he touched, the soles of the feet, the palms of his hands, the inner side of the fingers, the ears and eyelids, the environs of the nose and mouth, the secret organs. Over all these again and again, he moved his hands and again ceased and paused and the intensity died from his voice. For the third anointing was purely ritual. He marked various figures upon his body, a cross upon either sole, a cross inverted from brow to foot, and over all his form, the Pentagon reversed of magic. 
While he did so, his voice rose in a solemn chant which entered with a strange power through those anointed ears and flowed through his body, as did the new faint light that seemed to shine through his closed eyelids. Light and sounds were married in premonitions of approaching experience. His voice quivered upon the air and stopped. Then with an effort, he moved uncertainly towards his bed and stretched himself on it, his face towards the closed window and the enlarging moon. Silent and grotesque he lay, and the secret processes of the night began. If it had been possible for any stranger to enter that locked room in the middle of his journeying, they would have found his body lying there still. By no broomstick flight over the lanes of England did Gregory Persimmons attend the witch's Sabbath, nor did he dance with other sorcerers upon some blasted heath before a goat-headed manifestation of the accursed. But scattered far over the face of the earth, Though not so far in the swiftness of interior passage, those abandoned spirits answered one another that night, and that beyond them, which some have held to be but the precipitation and tendency of their own natures, and others for the equal and perpetual co-inheritor of power and immortality with good, that beyond them felt them and shook and replied, sustained and nourished and controlled. So that's the passage I picked out to read, um, partly because it, it really um, really stuck with me about this book, that there's um, uh, such a long and kind of um, lurid description of um, a, a, you know, a, essentially a ritual of black magic. Um, um, when I read the Odyssey with my class um, and Odysseus is about to go to the land of the dead, um, there is a, twice, there's, there's a description of the kinds of sacrifices that you make in order to go to the land of the dead. And I always tell my class, well, you know, if you need to open up a portal to the land of the dead, now you know how to do it. Um, you know, if you can get PETA off your back. Um, but yeah. um, but it's kind of the same thing. Like if you have that ointment, right? You could repeat this. He goes into enough detail, um, which is which is which is really interesting uh, that that Williams cho- chooses to do that, and yet he's so um, utterly convinced of the fact of the banality of evil, and he's showing mm-hmm. something about Gregory that Gregory desires to be part of something greater than himself, and he desires this communion of souls. Right, and he desires many, many things actually that a Christian desires, um, and that could, in another context, be mm-hmm. found in the church. Um, he simply, um, you know, chooses uh, not to because of a wrong view of God or, or something else. Decides to, um, you know, do this. This is during during the Sabbath. He feels united with everything and very rapturous. Um, it's not entirely clear why his masters have asked him to get the grail, but hey, it'll still be nice to, you know, use it to do some bad magic, right? Um, and uh, and then the image of Adrian floats up in front of his eyes and, and he realizes, oh, there's, there's still some uh, sacrifice that I need to make. And then there's just this utter rejection from everything that he's trying to unite himself with um, until he makes this other sacrifice right um, which which to me i kind of read as um he is not yet wholly evil and this thing is calling him to reject every single part of his own humanity including um his um uh 
natural inclination to be kind towards children, even if, you know, even if he has perverted that already, um, there's, there's still a, um, um, part of him that that's the most human part of him. Um, and he, he has to offer it up and sacrifice to the devil. Mm. Um, well, and, and he's given a glimpse of what he could achieve when he gives up his desires, the passage on the little bit on page 76, which says he was divorced now from the universe. He was one with a rejection of all courteous and lovely things. By the oblation of the child, he was made one with that which is beyond childhood and age and time. The reflection and negation of the eternity of God. He existed supernaturally and in hell. Um, which is, again, another idea that runs, he'll, he'll pick this up even in more detail in Descent into Hell later. Um, but just that idea of rejecting everything, mm-hmm. um, chi- like everything that's beyond childhood, uh, courteous and lovely things, um, which is in contrast again to the archdeacon earlier who displayed a courtesy toward the grail. Um, and so, you know, so he's still, even though he's detached in a sense, he still is able to be courteous toward things. But Gregory, if he makes this final sacrifice, um, you know, won't even have that capacity in him anymore. Um, and so I, th- I, I just, you know, I think I find that interesting that that's, that, that seems to me a more terrifying idea of hell than even than like Dante, like a Dante, you know, like, which I get, there are layers to Dante, but just like a straightforward, you know, um, you know, okay, well you, you know, you, you know, you die and you go to hell and you're burned for eternity, you know, um, whereas this idea of hell being utter and complete nothingness and like disconnection from anything is is more, I guess, is more of a potent image of hell, I think, than your typical like demons with pitchforks or, or whatever, you know. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's it's really, If we take seriously the rejection of dualism, right? Um, if we take seriously the idea that um, that the devil cannot make things, that the devil is not an equal and opposite power of God, um, that that he has no creative power, and that therefore no thing in existence is inherently evil, um, there doesn't seem to be anything else that hell. If hell is the negation of God, is the if it's the absence of God. Um, there doesn't seem to be anything else that it can be, right? Um, I mean, um, because pitchforks and fire, that's still stuff created by God. There's still a reality and substance there, right? Um, And if you want a world without God, if you want a world bereft of good, um, then it must be bereft of... um, materiality um it 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 must be this kind of divorce from all things that are created i'm sure i've said like five different heresies and just like <laughs> a minute but no. uh, that's me that's me thinking you know as i as i as i talk also um william blake and and the marriage um, of heaven and hell yeah when when he's talking about the the marriage and hell it came, it came, ecstasy of perfect mastery, marriage and hell. He who was Satan wedded to that bride, uh, to that beside which was Satan. 
Yeah, yeah. The, he he's really interested in marriage um, <laughs> in yeah. this book, um, as as we'll see. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Um, this God also who was himself and not himself demanded neophytes. Um, but it's, it is, it is interesting. Um, right. Cause there is a kind of, there's a kind of mirroring of Christianity, but it can't, it can't mirror it, um, in a way that's exactly opposite to it. Right. Because it's, it's, um, it's an attempt to find refuge from reality rather than a, um, you know, a, a, an actual union with reality, with, with the way things are. Yeah, which is part of, I guess, why Gregory doesn't ultimately become, I mean, it's, it seems pretty dang hard, actually, to, <laughs> to become um, lost in, in this world, right? Um, um, I mean, if, if you can't do it by driving your wife crazy on purpose, and trying to corrupt a child and by causing your father to despair at the end of his life. Um, um, and, and the interior state that brings about all those things of, of just rejection of, of God and of, of, of Christ that Gregory's exhibited all of his life. If that isn't enough, then it's, um, you know, if it's hard to get there, it seems like in, in Williams's world, which is, which is interesting. We've got, the chapter entitled Adrian. Um, so and what, stars and destiny. Yes. Stars and destiny. destiny. <laughs> yeah. Man is free to know his destiny, but not free to evade his destiny. But he can choose his destiny. Great destiny. Gregory answered, taking a book from the shelves. He may decide what star or what God he will follow. If you spell destiny and God with capital letters, no, the archdeacon said. All destinies and all gods bring him to one, but he chooses how to know him. Um, which then brings us to, to the point where I think you were going, Chris. Um, he may defy and deny him forever, Gregory said with a gesture. You can defy and deny the air you breathe or the water you drink, the archdeacon answered comfortably. But if you do, you die. The difference in the parallels is that in the other case, though you come nearer and nearer to it, you never quite die. Almost. You are in the death agony, but never quite. Yeah. Um, yeah, I love, I love the little interviews Gregory has with different, you know, with different characters here um, because he, he really wants to be, to, to know for sure that, the way that he's chosen is going to lead to some sort of fulfillment that is also perfectly selfish. Right. Um, and, and the different care, you know, even like Lionel, Lionel knows better than that. Right. And that where we get to later, but certainly the archdeacon does here. Um, yeah, absolutely. Let's see. This is, this is the, this is the chapter where um, the archdeacon goes and visits Gregory in his house. Is that right? Yes. Does he find out that the grail is with Gregory? He, he knows it's in the bathroom. Okay. Yeah, that's right. Like he, he learns enough to figure that out. Yeah. 
Yeah, because the chapel that's in, like the old chapel that's in the house that would have been the appropriate mm. place to put the grail, the, the ceiling of the lower floor is cut off by the, you know, by the second floor, which it has the, um, which is where the bathroom is, right? So that's where, that's where the grail is. Um, so he, he decides he can't really steal the grail today. Um, so he, he goes back out and then, um, and then Gregory has his kind of, uh, uh, um, invocation of Adrian before the grail. Where he, he like creates an image of Adrian and speaks to it and then says, you know, I'm, I'm shaping you and I'm calling to you through this shape and then you'll know me when, when you hear my voice again or something like that, right? Like it's a sort of a way of communication with Adrian's spirit and also power over Adrian. And on that sinister note, we will have to end this Inklings Variety Hour. After I read the passage in which Gregory recites his spell, binding Adrian's soul to the service of evil, the thunderstorm that had been plaguing us all night finally came to my part of Georgia, and our power went out. I will leave it for wiser heads than mine to determine whether this was all coincidence, or whether indeed such a thing as coincidence can exist. Tune in next time to learn the fate of poor young Adrian, and even the fate of Gregory. We'll see you then. Encounter full of joy, unscheduled on the decent plan, with here an addict of Tolkien, there a Charles Williams fan. <laughs>